Hi everyone, welcome to the weekly. Um, this is where we uh, condense in a very easy podcast or IGTV form all the main things we've been looking at research-wise this week at Better Babies. As if you're anything like me, you're probably strapped for time. So this is probably an easy and quick format to make sure you don't miss anything. So what are the things we've been looking at this week? Well, three main topics. One, um, estrogen dominance. What is it? Why is it happening more to us? What are the effects? And most importantly, because this is what Better Babies is all about, how we can use this information and do something about it. The next thing we're looking at um, is actually an interview with one of our Better Babies expert advisors, uh, Christoph Sauron, who is one of the leading specialists uh, on behavioral conditions, anxiety, emotional issues, and particularly things stemming from childhood. So this is a look at ADHD, which is very much an issue du jour. Um, what he sees as the main causes, and again, what you can do about it as a parent. Then the third thing is actually tying in with that. So what are some of the biological issues behind ADHD? Because obviously, as always, it's multifaceted. Um, and how we can actually use uh, a nutrient um, to potentially combat this. Plus, this nutrient also seems to have another benefit um, relating to uh, pregnancies and this is uh, omega-3s and specifically DHA so it's going to be a quick look at what that is and how that can benefit so kicking off uh, estrogen dominance um, if I say to you move uh, what do you think well if you have no idea what I'm talking about you probably haven't been on a beach anytime uh, recently but a moob is a man boob. Um, now that's not just because you've put on weight, men out there, that is actually probably um, because you have estrogen dominance. Now, of course, estrogen is traditionally seen as a woman's hormone, but men have it as well. Now, the thing is, this isn't just a men's issue. It's not just a women's issue. The reality is it's affecting all of us now, um, or many of us. And this is part of the whole problem of um, our world we live in causing a great deal of hormonal imbalances so the question is, why is it happening? And obviously, what can we do about it? Now, the body's very, very good at normally balancing hormones, but the problem is, is we often throw too much stuff at it. Now, question is, have you been affected? So some of the symptoms that you may or may not recognize are for women, very heavy, painful periods, uh, endometriosis, weight gain, particularly around your um, thighs, midsection, um, you know, the kind of typical area that you would gain weight, irritability, low libido, um, and, you know, extreme PMS. And I'm not talking just a little bit, I'm talking about extreme, um, certainly more extreme than normal. For men, similar mood issues, low libido, um, again, weight gain, um, and obviously the infamous moves. Um, so, the question is what's causing all of this and why so much more of us being affected so much so that when I was talking to my guru Mahantesh Karoshi who's one of Harley Street's leading obstetrician and gynecologists he was telling me that he thinks this is a lot of the reason behind uh, you know people having more problems getting pregnant and also because um, it does lead for, to infertility and also one of the reasons behind the massive fall off in sperm counts that we've had over the last 40 years which have basically fallen by half which is pretty alarming so where is it coming from? I would say there are two things to look for here. So one is the external issues. So what are the things that are driving this from our external environment? And the second thing is what's happening internally that's meaning that we process this less well. So the first thing to look at is food. 
Um, the problem is, is you might think you're being healthy by having a nice chicken salad um, with eggs um, and maybe a little bit of cheese, but the problem is, is not the food itself, but it's actually how it's produced. And the reality is these days, unfortunately, with the techniques that are used, we're often seeing you know, cows, uh, cattle, other cattle, um, chickens, anything being really pumped full of all kinds of artificial hormones being that growth hormone or things to stimulate production from a dairy perspective. The reality is if you're not buying organic, it's probably happening. So what's the solution? Obviously buying organic, but that is more expensive and obviously you can't always get it. So for me, I would much rather eat less um, of better quality than more and pay the price from my health. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, but it's not just unfortunately to do with, um, you know, dairy and meat and that type of thing. It's also to do with um, a lot of the trends that are going on, even with veganism. Um, a lot of what's happening is that these uh, big corporations are jumping on what's actually a very well-intended um, you know initiative and we're producing things that are stripped out of one thing and substituted with another and often these big companies with processed type of vegan food pack it full of things like soy which is a phytoestrogen and that's a plant form um, or basically a plant type of chemical that mimics estrogen so soy is a prime example so i know i'm a big proponent of being very vigilant on nut milk but often when you look at certain brands you look at the back of a packet you might think you're buying almond milk and actually they pack it half full of soy to bulk it up um, so be very warned about having too much of that so I think awareness there is really crucial um, then of course we have my beloved pesticides now if you want to understand quite how much pesticides can affect your hormones take a look at the feminized frog study I will save you some time this is where a particular pesticide was uh, leached into a lake and basically turned male frogs into female frogs. Now that particular um, pesticide is called atrazine and it's actually been outlawed in Europe, yay. Um, but unfortunately it is prolific elsewhere and also it's not just atrazine that causes these effects. The Endocrine Society puts out very regular, very, very, very detailed updates Pesticides feature very heavily in terms of endocrine disruption. Now, solution obviously organic, but there's better other solutions as well that don't have to cost you a fortune. The Environmental Working Group has a brilliant um, yearly um, update of the Dirty Dozen Clean 15. Dirty Dozen are those uh, food and fruits and vegetables you just absolutely want to avoid if you can't buy organic. They're the ones that most affected. Clean 15 are the ones that you can afford to uh, not be organic about so say an avocado that has a hard shell um, so that's really worth having a look at and then of course my good old friend activated charcoal that if you soak um, your fruit and veg in for 10 minutes rinse it off you're going to be taking away a lot of that residue so there are good things that you can do um, now I would also say unfortunately these things get into our water supply and that's the other thing to be aware of so pesticides and also things like the birth control pill. Um, so for me, whenever I'm drinking water, I always filter it. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, my best friend activated charcoal features often in the filters there. So that's pretty good. Um, the other thing is how you drink your water, plastic, unfortunately, a big no-no. BPA is often in this, particularly in plastic water bottles. And again, the Endocrine Society talks a lot about how BPA is uh, actually uh, an estrogen mimicking type of substance. 
So if you're drinking or eating out of plastic, um, particularly if you're heating it up or reusing things, the reality is this is going to get into your system. And in fact, um, a study showed that 93% of the US population is estimated to have measurable amounts of BPA in their urine. That's a lot. Um, unfortunately, this also goes for our personal care, super, and you know, makeup and all that kind of stuff, super, super unregulated. Now, without going into the super complexities of it, because it's a minefield, um, the biggest thing I would avoid is any product that has added fragrance. Um, that is one of the biggest disruptors to our systems, and frankly, you smell sweet enough, so don't even bother and just avoid things that have the word natural in it because often it means very little. Just go for fragrance free, it's really simple. Sadly, alcohol also, I love a glass of red wine, but I was uh, pretty shocked to, to see that uh, a glass of red wine does contain estrogen equivalent. So key thing is just keep it in moderation. Um, so pretty obvious stuff. Now, the biggest question is why are our bodies less able to handle this? Because the body is the most uh, advanced biocomputer known to humankind. Um, and basically it should, in theory, just do the job of regulating and uh, getting rid of the excess. But the problem is we're throwing a lot more at it. Now, one of the main organs, of course, we're throwing more at is the liver. The liver is the organ that um, gets rid of toxins and anything that's excess in our body. The trouble is, is we are overloading our liver with all kinds of other toxins, obviously some of the ones that I mentioned. And of course, the liver being very clever will prioritize what it needs to get out of the system the most. Now, it's quite complicated, and if you really want to go into it, it's on my website, but basically when we have too much toxin in our body, the um, ridding of the excess estrogen gets pushed down um, the priority list and basically ends up getting reabsorbed. Now, what can you do about that? Well, obviously the first thing is avoid some of the toxins, but the good thing is there are other things to do. So it sounds complicated, but there is um, you know, a molecule called indole-3-carbonyl, which is actually found in cruciferous vegetables. So think cabbage, sprouts, broccoli, that kind of thing. And uh, it's basically a phytonutrient. And what that does is it simulates, uh, stimulates enzymes to basically promote metabolism of estrogen properly and its proper excretion out of the body uh, and into milder forms that we can handle better. So that's something to be uh, thinking about. The other one is my very favorite um, uh, antioxidant glutathione. And that basically um, enables, uh, well, it's a very powerful antioxidant, but it does you know, allow proper uh, extraction, sorry, extraction from the body of estrogen. Um, and again, if you want to look at the detail of that, check out my site. But the trouble is when we are using or when we are exposed to things like alcohol and toxins, glutathione, the body's mop will go to that first. And so again, if we don't have enough of that, we can't excrete this estrogen. And so it, uh, it remains in our system. Um, but again, I've got some ways that you can boost um, glutathione. So Things like um, meat stock um, provide the amino acids that our body uses to um, build glutathione and obviously vitamin C and that type of thing. So other antioxidants, you know, berries, cinnamon, dark chocolate, all those kind of good things are, are always helpful. Now, I know it's very un-PC to talk about this, but um, the reality is, is that being overweight really doesn't help when it comes to estrogen. Um, now, uh, it does play a very real role and um, it has been associated with higher circulating estrogen levels. So unfortunately nowadays, around 35% of the population worldwide has, has a BMI of over 25. Now, 
I don't mind what people look like, how people, you know, I want people to feel good. But the reality is, is if you have a BMI over 25 or over 30, if you're obese, you are going to likely run into problems with estrogen. So it's another reason for, um, you know, you to perhaps focus on doing whatever it is you can to bring that back to a healthy BMI range. Um, And unfortunately, you know, it's becoming harder these days, Um, but it's definitely another reason to focus on that. Um, then one of my favorites, uh, the gut, the wonder organ. Um, again, the problem is our modern lifestyles are causing big imbalances in the bacteria. Now, what was interesting is that one study showed that with mice, when they didn't have any gut um, bacteria, so when they're germ-free, uh, they had all kinds of problems with their hormones. However, when the uh, scientists added in bacteria, they could process this estrogen and cycles returned and all kinds of good stuff happened. So again, we don't really fully understand the gut, um, but the best way at the moment is to have a diverse mix of bacteria. Everyone's got a different mix, but make sure it's diverse and make sure there are no imbalances. Now, the best way to do that is by what you eat, which uh, can change the gut bacteria in up to uh, as, as little as 24 hours. So I would rather people uh, focus on what they eat. So um, looking at probiotics and prebiotic type of food rather than spending money on expensive over-the-counter pro, uh, probiotic supplements. Now, what do I mean by prebiotics? Those are things that um, feed the existing bacteria we have. So fibrous type of foods, all on my site. And probiotic foods, the obvious things that you think of, sauerkraut, pickles, miso soup, that type of thing. And then also the good old meat stock, bone broth, all good for the gut. Um, Now, the final one is obviously our friend stress. Now, it's always annoying when somebody tells you not to be stressed because it's never going to work. But the reality is, is that stress hormones disrupt other hormones um, simply because uh, when the body's under stress, the raw materials for hormone production get diverted uh, and used for cortisol instead of regulating the sex hormones for one thing it's just one example of the many things that happen Um, and so this can obviously send your estrogen off as well so i think um, for women specifically it can mean less progesterone um, which is progesterone is the hormone that actually controls estrogen and brings it down Uh, and so that's that's how you get problems from an estrogen perspective um, you know with, with stress so Hopefully there are some things in there that you can do and hopefully you realize it's an important thing to do. Uh, the next topic is on ADHD. So I was lucky enough um, to tap into one of the Better Babies experts and interview him about some of the things that he thinks are most risky and things he would recommend doing um, from a parental perspective if you want to reduce the risk of having ADHD in your child. Now, like with every neurological disorder, there are so many causes. So it is definitely not one thing, but Better Baby's mantra is always, if you've got some control over something, it's better to do something than nothing, and at least you reduce your risk. So partly it's it, there's a genetic component, but there are many other factors that contribute. Now, is ADHD on the rise, or is it just better diagnosis? Um, Christoph's view, and I'll let you read the interview in full, because um, I don't want to ruin his own words, but his view is that um, it's definitely both, but there's certainly uh, more on the rise, and in fact, as many as 10 to 15% of children are now affected. So it's definitely something that's a growing problem. Um, now, his view um, is a few things. One, um, we are obviously having problems um, with screen time, and 
children being exposed to the internet far too early. Um, it's hard, of course, when, you know, we all have our smartphones. I mean, I struggle for one thing, trying to keep my phone away from my son, who absolutely is obsessed with it. Um, but it is something that we really need to be conscious of because studies have shown children with ADHD do typically tend to have much more exposure to screens um, than children who are not. Now, explaining how that works is actually all to do with um, something that Christoph talks a lot about, which is stress and hyperarousal in children. And it might not seem stressful to us, but hyperarousal is a form of um, heightened anxiety. And effectively, when you are exposing a very young child to lots of very quick images, be that on television or on an iPad, um, there is, you know, obviously a chance that that can have an effect. And actually, um, what it's called is the fast pace arousal habituation hypothesis. In a nutshell, what this means, and again, please do read more about it on the site, is that when a child is watching something on an iPad or a screen, it um, increases their arousal and doing that more and more and more raises their base level of arousal. So when they step away from that, they seek to recreate it. Um, now, there are lots of other theories about it, but the bottom line is, is just be sensible, be mindful. I know it's hard in this modern day and age, but just keep it down to minimum, especially in younger ch children. Now, that's of course not the only thing. The other thing that Christoph talks a lot about, again, in relation to stress is keeping, the importance of keeping a very stable, calm, organized household. Um, I know it sounds boring, but actually it really makes a difference. Christoph talks a lot about uh, little stresses, um, and I think we all forget what it's like to be a, a little person, and even if they're not verbal, they pick up on things. So having an argument in front of our kids, being very stressed, being detached, all the things that often come with modern life, you know, inevitably it's going to happen. The key is just making sure it happens a lot less than a lot more. Um, repetition, Christoph says, is the key thing. So we're all going to have our bad days, and it's important not to beat ourselves up about that, but just to make sure that if we do have to have a disagreement, we do it out of um, the realm of our children. But most importantly is to use what Christoph calls as the transition. So we're all trying to do lots of different things these days. But a very powerful tool is when you're transitioning between various roles that we have as wife, mother, um, you know, employee, boss, lady, chef, you know, driver, whatever it is that we're doing. When we're coming back to our kids, we take an amount of time, whatever it is we can spare or we need to put whatever it was we were doing aside, reduce our stress levels and approach parenting in a calm uh, and serene manner because it really does make a difference to making a child feel secure. And research has shown that if you can do calm present parenting, making a child feel secure um, in a predictable manner, that will have a really positive effect. Um, so I think that's it's well worth having a look at what Christoph writes about this, particularly in the transition. Um, so I think things to watch out for um, if you're concerned that your child might have ADHD is obviously things like um, impulsive behavior, physical agitation, undirected violence, restlessness, general mood instability, um, you know, some signs of obsession, um, hyper awareness, that type of thing. Now, the key thing is obviously there are medications out there, but one of the things that Christoph is very passionate about is that these medications obviously have big side effects. Um, and 
they really cover up a lot of the symptoms and really if you do have a child with you suspect has ADHD which obviously can partly be genetic as well it's important to get them proper treatment and psychotherapy which can really help um, and ease the symptoms there so early intervention is better than none now that brings me on to the final thing um, obviously ADHD has many many causes so developmental genetic environmental and obviously some of the parental factors and social environmental factors that we just discussed but is there something that can help from a nutrient perspective in the way our brain develops to potentially, sorry, to potentially prevent this? Now, I spent this week um, talking and discussing uh, omega-3s and specifically DHA. Question is, does this nutrient actually work when it comes to ADHD um, and other neurological issues? And are there other applications so one of the things that research is suggesting is that it can be um, very useful in preventing pregnancy complications such as preterm birth. So this week we dug into what the research is saying, whether or not this is worth uh, really focusing on either upping your uh, intake of specific things or taking a supplement. So in a nutshell, what we found is this. Omega-3s are part of a family called polyunsaturated uh, long-chain fatty acids. Um, now, well, sorry, I should say polyunsaturated fatty acids. Now, there are a couple of ty different types. For the purposes of what we need to focus on, it is the long-chain omega-3. So that's DHA and EPA. But a lot of the research really focuses on specifically the benefits of DHA. Now, Think of fish oil as a prime example because DHA is really found in fish, shellfish and the alike. Now, what does it do and how does it do it? Um, obviously on the site we talk an awful lot about the trouble that comes from inflammation in the body and again, the modern world does a fantastic job of making us all chronically inflamed without even realising. Um, inflammation is one of the things that has been linked the most to preterm birth and complications. Um, obviously, there are a lot of causes, but inflammation is one. So um, some of the research is suggesting some very, very interesting outcomes. If, uh, as a pregnant woman, particularly um, at risk of preterm birth, you are taking either a supplement or you are eating at least two servings of um, ideally wild, um, low mercury type fish. And in fact, the research has been suggesting that there is a benefit. So. First and foremost, if you are concerned about this, it is definitely something to consider. Second thing is, this is a very, very important nutrient for the development of the brain and for the nervous system of a child. And in fact, it builds the most in the last trimester of pregnancy. And once a child has this reserve, it will, which is passed via the mother through the placenta and also into breast milk, that builds it for life. So it's clearly something that's very, very important to have and so the research does suggest a lot of benefits from focusing on this or taking a supplement if you don't like fish for example another question is how much should you focus on taking well i mean definitely something to discuss with your doctor but a lot of the research suggests taking between five and eight hundred milligrams per day now if you want to take that in food form which is definitely my preferred route because i think the trouble is with supplements these days there are so much, uh, so many different brands and not a lot of regulation and you have to be very, very careful. So if you can, 
So if you can, what you want to focus on is eating two servings of wild, low mercury fish um, per week. Obviously, if you're pregnant, you want to be having it cooked versus raw. If you don't like fish, and frankly, a lot of children don't like fish, that's the time to look for a supplement. Now, I would say when you're looking for a supplement, you really want to focus on wild because unfortunately, again, modern farming has a problem because we put a lot of undesirables, so antibiotics, hormones, the likes, into fish. We also want to focus on food, uh, or fish, sorry, lower down the food chain because of mercury. Uh, the problem is we have this thing called methylmercury and it bioaccumulates. That means when a big fish eats a small fish, that big fish has its existing mercury plus then the small fishes, it doesn't degrade. So you wanna focus on things like sardines and mackerel anchovies so the smaller type of fish um, and make sure um, that that's on the packet because trust me if that's what a company is doing they are going to advertise that so um, check it out I would definitely say if you're pregnant um, or you're concerned that your child is not getting enough intake these are some things to focus on um, and perhaps some supplements to check out and definitely worth discussing with your doctor um, hope you found that useful and uh, have a good week bye